Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Yeah, so we're reading Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to the end. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner." Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thank you, Ruth. It's great to be with you. And what a wonderful story. We're looking at four meals uh, this uh, time away in Luke's Gospel. So the theme of a meal with Jesus and being nourished together as God's people, being nourished uh, in his word and being nourished from encountering him. And uh, so we look at, uh, I'm sneaking two two meals in today, so it's five actually. Um, So a missed opportunity. I wonder when the last time you had a missed opportunity. Um, Say goodbye to say you love someone, to meet someone, to get an experience, uh, to forgive someone, to receive forgiveness, to learn something, to offer help, to receive help. Some kind of missed opportunity. It's nothing like a missed opportunity, that sense of regret, the sick feeling maybe in your stomach. You can't get it back, it's gone. It's a, it's a missed opportunity. It's a, it's a, horrible, op- it's a horrible feeling. Um, there's a man in this story who misses a huge opportunity to encounter Jesus. And there's going to be another woman we're going to learn about in another story tonight who misses meeting with Jesus. And so as we start the weekend, I just want to start. Matthew's kind of given us a bit of this already. It's easy to be physically present and miss what Jesus wants to do. We have two people who have Jesus in their home. We're going to look at Mary and Martha. We're going to look at Simon the Pharisee. They're physically present but they're not encountering Jesus because their hearts aren't ready and open. So don't go back at the end of this weekend going, I've missed an opportunity. I was there physically, 
my mind or my heart. There's an opportunity. Simon's going to miss it. Mary, Martha is hopefully, we'll see, going to get a chance. So let's start with the story of Mary and Martha. It wasn't the one read. It's just a bit later on in the Bibles, but uh, they've been, it's in Luke 10, and they've been invited, uh, Mary and Martha invited Jesus to a meal in their home. And um, if, you, if you don't know the story, it's a very short story, but they, they invite Jesus to the home, and Martha misses hanging out and spending time with Jesus. She misses the opportunity because she's busy, and she's distracted. And by the way, she's distracted with the things that do need to be done. She has to cook. And they're good things. Preparing a meal for Jesus. What a great thing to do in life. I'm preparing a meal for Jesus. But she's busy for Jesus. She's very, very busy. And as she's so busy with Jesus, she gets so frustrated that her, her sister is not busy for Jesus. She's spending time with Jesus. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's not distracted. She's not stressed. She's listening attentively, enjoying all the beautiful words that come out of his mouth. She spends unhurried time with him. There isn't so much a schedule. I'm slotting Jesus in. It's I'm just here sitting and enjoying the words of Jesus. And Martha, who's so frustrated as she goes around the cooking and preparing and getting it all organized, sees her sister doing nothing and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? There's a resentment in her heart. Lord, well, look right here. Frustrated, anger. And Jesus says these wonderful words. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Do you see, she's not only busy and distracted by all the things that had to be done, she's also worried and upset by many things. Mary's just listening. She's not worried, she's not upset. She's in an unhurried place of listening to Jesus, and that will never be taken from her. So Martha is physically present with Jesus, but she hasn't opened up her heart to him and made herself ready to receive him, to have enjoyable, unhurried time with Jesus. That is what a weekend away is all about. That's why we do this, to be together, to be unhurried. But it's easy to be Martha on a weekend away. It is. It's actually easy to be Martha all of life. That's why we have this story because disciples through the years have made the same mistake as Martha. I'm really busy for Jesus, but I'm not enjoying unhurried time with him. And that's why this idea of a meal with Jesus, it's an invitation. When you have a meal, even when you have kids, meals slow you down a little bit. And they just focus your attention on the food and one another. And, you know, back in the day, there was no phones to even distract. You just had a meal. And that's this idea of a meal together and a meal with Jesus. That's the invitation to eat with him. Do you remember the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation? They're lukewarm. It's useless being lukewarm. You know, they're, they're not hot enough to bathe in. They're not cold enough to drink. They're just useless. Lukewarm, so he spits them out. But Jesus, what does he say to that church? Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's an opportunity to eat with Jesus and spend time in his presence and in feed on him and his word and one an and the fellowship of being with one another and enjoying that. So to help us think briefly 
about what it might mean to make sure we don't miss the opportunity. I want us to reflect on this beautiful story that Ruth so well read to us. Uh, it's uh, like many of the meals and actually the parables and stories in Luke's gospel. It's a compare and contrast. There's two characters. You'll find it. We'll see one tomorrow morning, the two sons. There's, there's two people and you're supposed to compare and contrast them. Now, this time, it's not Mary and Martha that invited Jesus to a meal. It's Simon. The Pharisee has invited Jesus to a meal. Why? Well, as the story developed, Simon wanted to have Jesus in his home because he wanted to kind of discern what kind of man is Jesus and is he really a good kind of man? Because Simon thinks he's a rogue. Simon thinks he doesn't quite, you know, match up to a holy man of God in his books. He suspects that there's something not quite right about Jesus. Why? Because of who he hangs around with, the unholy people. And so when Jesus arrives at the home of Simon... Simon fails to greet Jesus as he should. Today, if you come to my home, I will say, would you like a cup of tea? And here's the Wi-Fi code. You know, it's modern etiquette, isn't it, in a home? Well, back then, if you were invited to a home, you'd, you'd receive a kiss as a welcome. A servant would wash your feet because you're, you'd been on the dusty roads in your sandals. And then someone would give you olive oil or something like that to freshen up, to put it on your head and to improve your smell if you'd traveled a long way. Jesus has given none of standard welcoming etiquette. He's not welcomed, and this is deliberate. So it's actually a moment where Jesus is treated with contempt. And everyone in the room who's invited to this very fancy dinner would have known that Jesus wasn't being given the things he should have been. Now, to understand what happens next, and I'm sorry to say this, this might happen in the talks in the coming weeks but I've just been to Rome and uh, I've just discovered this uh, and I kind of read it in the commentaries and then the lady actually giving us the tour of the Colosseum and the places where the Caesars lived actually uh, put this picture out believe it or not the one I had on my PowerPoint <laughs> so uh, this is how they used to eat and she said it's a bit like stilettos she said they look fancy but they're useless you know for walking she said this is it looks fancy but it's not a very good way to eat but they wanted to look fancy that's why they ate like that the poor people she said ate at tables like we do but fancy rich people used to eat like this just to show they were fancy and rich okay so Jesus invited to this kind of dinner party now it will make a lot of sense to how the woman is able to wash his feet now you see not sitting at a table like we sit and there's a way that the servant would come in and prepare the food. The people are all lying down and uh, on their right side. And then you come in uh, uh, at different points to sit. And you can, it's very intimate. You see how intimate that is? You're all facing one another. But that's the Greco-Roman fancy dinner party. And shock horror, in comes, one translation of the Bible says, a woman of the city. Almost certainly a prostitute. Certainly someone notorious for all the wrong reasons in the city. And given the lavishness of her love towards Jesus, we must assume that she's already met Jesus before. This isn't the first time they've met. And her first encounter was so overwhelming, she wanted to see him again. The first time she met Jesus, we imagined she'd been overwhelmed by this man that looked deep into her eyes and told her he loved her and there was not a hint of lust in his intentions. This man looked past anything that made her degrading. 
This man only saw a daughter of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. This man had welcomed her. He didn't frown at her past. He didn't even mention her past. This man didn't let the eyes wander to the scars on the arms that had been caused by injections. But he looked at her with gentle, loving eyes, not because he wanted to sleep with her, but because he wanted to make her feel safe. This man never nagged, never coaxed, never patronized. He never made sick jokes about her. He never flattered her so he could use her for sex. No, he was kind. He was generous. He was welcoming, gentle, respectful. And he told her a message no one had ever said, that God loved her and that God had forgiven her. No man had ever said that to her before. And as she heard about the love and forgiveness of God, something changed in her, something melted in her, and we'd call it being born again. She realized she could be loved and therefore lovable. And she was changed there and then. And, 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 and then one can only assume that she picked up the gossip in the town because maybe she met Jesus earlier that day or the day before that Jesus was going to be eating at Simon the Pharisee's house. The gossip had spread around the town. And this woman thought, how do I thank the man that's changed my life? She goes, I'm going to bring that alabaster jar, probably worth a year's wages. Definitely would have given her a year on the street with other men, that jar. Perfume to make her smell nice. And she says, I'm going to get, take that jar and, I'm, and I'm, going to, I'm going to put it on his hands and his head as a way of saying thank you. And she bursts into the room. And she sees Jesus and she sees him being treated with contempt and He's not welcomed and he's not loved. And he's, but what, what are they doing to Jesus? He's this, they're not giving him what they should give him. And the emotions take over. And she starts to weep. There's tears of anger and tears of love, anger at the host, but love and gratitude towards Jesus. And she sees the dirty feet. Maybe everyone else's feet were clean. We don't know. But Jesus's were dirty. So she kneels behind him. And with her tears, she wets the feet and starts to wash the dust off them. But she hadn't come prepared to wash Jesus' feet, and she had no towel, so she pulls a clip out of her hair, and her long hair falls to the feet of Jesus. In Middle Eastern culture, even to this day, a woman is obliged to cover her hair in public because a woman's hair is considered sexually seductive. In fact, in traditional Middle Eastern society, the first time a woman would let her hair down was on her wedding night to be seen by her husband for the first time. This woman's been with probably hundreds of men, but she's never let her hair down for one of them. But she's with Jesus. The tears are flowing. And she starts to clean his feet with her beautiful hair. Jesus' feet needed to be dried. And in her frenzy, in her anger, and in her gratitude, she cannot help but kiss her feet. And the word there in the, in the scriptures means to smother with kisses, to kiss again and again. She constantly was kissing his feet. She cannot contain these emotions. And she gets the alabaster jar and pours a year's worth of perfume onto his feet. You can imagine the smell fills the whole room. She didn't realize the significance, but she was anointing God's chosen king, like Samuel had anointed David. This was the moment, where, one moment where King Jesus is anointed. 
And the whole thing had been done in silence. Because language is useless in the presence of such costly and tender expressions of devotion. No one said a word. Everyone mouth, everyone's mouth is wide open. Everyone's eyes are popping out of their heads. And the question is, what will Jesus do now? Will he be embarrassed? Will he be shocked? Will he reject her and scold her like he should if he was a true man of God? No, Jesus allows the whole episode to be carried out without any shame or embarrassment. As before, Jesus accepts her. So the narrative shifts. Well, if Jesus doesn't do anything, what's Simon the host going to do at this dirty intruder and her outrageous actions? You see, for Simon, this has been the issue from the start. This is why he'd had Jesus for dinner. He knew that he was this kind of guy hanging out with the wrong kind of people and he wasn't a true prophet and he shouldn't have really had any physical contact with a woman, let alone a sinful woman. I mean, what kind of man is this? Whose side was Jesus on? Was he on God's side? If he was, he should have kicked this outcast out onto the street and said, go to the temple and pay for your sins. It's a moving story. Let's stop before we see how Jesus and Simon interact and compare the two. We're going to do this three times. Simon the Pharisee, he's male. She's a female. He's educated. She's uneducated. He's a homeowner. She's poor. He's respectable in society. She's ostracized. He's religious. He keeps the rules. He's a Pharisee. She's irreligious. She's broken many of the rules. He's the moral one. She's the immoral one. He's supposedly righteous. She's supposedly sinful. And yet, what does the story tell us really? That's the outside. He's proud. She's humble. He's judgmental. She's loving. He's cynical. She's tender. He's resisting Jesus' love. She's experiencing Jesus' love. He's keeping up appearances. She seems to have nothing to cover up. He's angry. She's kind. He's rude. She's generous. Why? What makes them so different? The parable about debt. You see, Jesus says there's one person who owes a small debt, like a hundred euros, say, and is forgiven that small debt. And the person who's forgiven by the generous moneylender is going to say, well, look, I love you kind of a hundred euros worth of love because you've forgiven me that amount. It's kind of a nice thing for you to do, but it's only a hundred euros. So say someone else had a, a massive debt, an enormous debt of, say, a hundred thousand euros, crippling potentially going to ruin your life for the rest of your life. 100,000 euros worth of debt. How am I going to get out of it? And some, a generous money lender says, you know what, I'll cancel the debt. You're going to love them 100,000 euros worth of love. And more, because they've, they've changed your whole life by cancelling that debt that you owed them. The two characters in the parable are the two people in the story. Simon and the sinful woman. Before God, she has many sins. Simon knows that. We, the readers of the story, seem to know that. Everyone in the town seems to know that. She, she's done things she deeply regrets. She, she knows the weight of her guilt and her shame. She feels dirty. And yet she's been forgiven an enormous debt. And her love to the generous moneylender who forgave her, Jesus, is overflowing. But Simon, Jesus says to him, 
you don't really think you have a debt, do you, Simon? In fact, you probably do, but you think it's so small that you can probably pay it back yourself. Just work a bit harder, won't you, Simon? And you'll just do a few more good deeds and uh, you'll be able to pay that debt off because your debt's not very big. And therefore, Simon, you've experienced nothing of grace because you're working hard all the time to pay off any debt that you have. Why is Simon so rude and proud, defensive, angry, hostile, hard-hearted and kind? Because he always wants to pay his own debt. He's working hard to atone for himself all the time. Why is the woman so loving, generous, tender and beautiful? She doesn't even think she can pay her debt, but she's experienced grace that someone paid it for her. Why is Simon desperately trying to cover up when the woman feels no need to cover up? They've understood their debt. As God sees that debt. You see, the story, and and, and we're made to think that the woman's debt is greater than Simon's debt, but in God's eyes, they're both great debtors, and they both cannot pay it, and they are both dependent on the generosity of the moneylender to get out of debt. And so that's the final pairing that explains the whole story. One is blind to their debt. One is aware of their debt. One is earning their salvation themselves through hard work. One is receiving their salvation through Christ. One is resisting the love of Jesus. The other one is experiencing the love of Jesus. Jesus is willing to pay Simon's debt as he's paid the woman's debt. That's why he tells in the parable, but you can only pay a debt if Simon's willing to admit he has one that needs paying. And so this story reveals two paradigms. And we're going to think about this tomorrow morning in, in more detail. There's a way of religion where you say, I obey God and therefore he accepts me. It's because I do good things, I work hard, I don't do the wrong things and that's why God loves me and that's how I can be secure about myself. And then there's the gospel that says, I'm accepted in all my mess with the bigger debt than I could ever have paid. But through the costly grace of Jesus, it was paid. And now, out of grateful joy, overflowing love, that we see this woman in the story shows. I obey. I don't obey because I have to. I obey because I've been set free by the one who paid my debt. So the final question, how does Jesus pay her debt? Jesus deliberately retells what hasn't happened to him as a way to insult Simon. He says, you didn't give me this, you didn't give me this, you didn't give me this, but this woman has done this, this and this. And in doing so, he moves the attention off the woman onto himself. He protects the woman. So he defends everything the woman has done, but as he does so, he insults Simon's hospitality and then deflects the anger Simon has for the woman onto himself. You can imagine the woman saying to herself, he's going to get hurt because he's protecting me from this man. And yes, he is. He's going to take the anger of the nasty religious man for him, for her. And that's the gospel. One day, Jesus is going to take all the anger from a horrible, hostile crowd. They're going to spit on him. They're going to mock him. They're going to shout, crucify him. They're going to shove a crown of thorns on his head. They're going to nail him in the hands 
and he's going to take the anger that should have come to us. He's going to deflect it, put it onto himself and say, this is how much I love you all. This is how big the debt is that I have to pay. He was rejected so we can be accepted. He was stripped naked so we can be clothed in righteousness. He was humiliated so you could never know, you never need to know shame. He was exposed so he could protect you. He paid your debt. And as you see Jesus paying your debt, it melts your heart and your life starts to look less like Simon's. I've got to earn it. I've got to work hard. So I can respond out of grateful joy to the one who paid my debt. And just one thing, and I speak a little bit from personal experience. Tears are for many people a key barometer of the tenderness of one's heart towards Jesus. We often see people crying in the presence of Jesus like this woman. As many of you know, I've just made the transition from being full-time at HubSpot, the company I work for, to full-time at church. And it was a great decision. And there was other big decisions that Leanne and I had to make along the way and dynamics we were handling. And there was just a weight that I was carrying through February and March. And I was sharing with my life group about this. And I was struggling to sleep for about a month. Had a month of just troubled sleep. Was it anxiety? I don't know, but just a weight. And I knew that my heart was needed softening or I needed God to break in in some way and one of my wakeful mornings I got up about 2 a.m because I was already couldn't sleep I started reading the book of Philippians just working my way through it praying verse by verse because it was I just had these nights and I was like am I ever going to be able to sleep again and it was the 31st of March and it was 4 12 a.m and the Lord just broke in as I was reading the book and tears started to flow for me Five, ten minutes, just tears flowing, encountering God again and his love and the sense of the weight lifted and the sense of his provision and protection in my life and reassurance again for me. And I just encourage you, don't miss the opportunity to meet with him. And if you know in your heart, oh, I'm just a bit hardened, there's a weight here, I'm distracted, God's saying, I want to come and meet with you. And tears might be the fruit the barometer. It might be tears of sadness or that the last two years or other things in your life, you just need to cry that through. It might be tears of joy of discovering what the woman discovered again, afresh for you, the great love of Jesus who pays your debt. For some of you this weekend, God wants to give you the experience of freedom and joy to weep, tears of sadness or tears of joy, but the, Jesus stands at the door of our weekend and at the door of our heart, and he says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. Let's welcome him in. Amen. I'm going to stand, we're going to sing, I'm going to pray, and uh, just take a moment to consider the life of Simon and the life of the woman, the life of Mary, and the life of Martha. And just express there just a prayer yourself for what you would want Jesus to do this weekend with you. So consider the busyness of Martha and the unhurriedness of Mary. Consider the, the lavish love of the woman and the proud heart of Simon. And just offer a, a prayer yourself there in the quietness of what you want Jesus to do in your heart.
Lord Jesus, we read these two stories of, of Martha uh, being physically present with Jesus, but not, um, not allowing him in. And we read the story of Simon inviting Jesus in, but keeping him at a distance. And we say, Lord, whatever it takes this weekend, do in our hearts that we might become the Marys and we might become like the sinful women. And we might know the great debt you've paid for us. And that might unlock our hearts to have that freedom and joy and that exuberance that we see in the sinful woman and the peace and contentment that we see in Mary. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.